Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hello, Archons. Welcome to Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I'm your host, Sydney, and I'm joined today by Blake. Hey, Blake, how you doing? Hey, Sydney, how are you? I am amazing. Oh, so excited. So yep. today we are going to be talking about the idea that some people are coming back to Keyforge. And so it might be a little bit, uh, might need a little bit of a refresher. And we're really excited to uh, talk about maybe what you missed while you were gone. And we're really excited to have you back. Yes, indeed. Yes. This is a good idea. I, I like it. I think it's very relevant. But before we dive into that, uh, just actually the night before we record this, so this will be a little bit before, about roughly a weekish from when you're hearing this, there was a new email sent out to anyone subscribing to the Ghost Galaxy and GameFound newsletters, etc. And it was that tokens were kind of fully revealed in the way they're going to look, how they're going to actually play out within the game. And I got to say, I'm I'm pretty excited about this. It looks so cool. It's like anything new is exciting, but like when yes. you you tweak something like we're we're very very familiar with or you you just make something entirely new look like something we should be familiar with. I don't know, like everything about it just makes me happy. Yes. So if you don't want to know anything about this now would be the time to maybe skip forward a minute or two but basically what we saw was the way tokens are going to be represented and it's actually a change to the way an archon card looks well actually not the archon card the back of your deck aside from the archon card essentially the archon card will look exactly like how it always has but now they've done a layout change where the houses are clustered in kind of a triangular shape in the top right corner and then you get to see a little circular uh, art image on the back of your Archon of the token that is represented in your deck. So whenever, like we've seen in the past, tokens being talked about how it's going to be a card face down from your deck, now you actually have a representation of your token. And then the token card itself as a reference, which will be the 37th card in the deck, or is it the 38th? The 37th card in the deck. Yeah. I, I think oh, yeah. that's a I think that's an absolutely great idea to have a little bit of an image because it it really kind of represents a card like it's it's the creature that is in your battle line while you're playing it and the fact that it's on the back of every single card also means that like when you're playing in person and you're holding your cards up in your hand like the opponent can always at any point know what your token creature is because they're they're looking right at it. It's true, and the interesting thing is that there was like a slate of a rules clarification in the in the write-up that they provided was that if for some reason your deck requires your opponent to create a token and there's some sort of effect, the do as much of you can rule play goes into effect. So if your deck actually doesn't have a token reference, then you actually don't create tokens from the top of your deck. So Ooh. I thought that was quite interesting. So you'll do the effect that it says, and then when it goes to the create a token part, if you're using a deck that is not Winds of Exchange, essentially you do not create a token. You just do the part up until that point because your deck is not a token deck which is i thought uh really interesting that there might be this kind of universal effect between both decks creating tokens 
I really like that. And I like that they clarified that too, because it just, a lot of what you need to know when a new mechanic hits the board is how it's going to interact with decks that don't have that mechanic. Yes. An- another thing they mentioned that I, I really love that they clarified is when, you, because you take the token off the top card of your deck, you can look at the mm-hmm. reverse side. So like when you place it down and it is the token, which means the back of the card is facing up, you as the player can look at the card to see what the card would have been, the card that is now missing from your deck. And they also clarified that you cannot look at the reverse side of your opponent's token creature. So when their creature comes from the top of their deck, you don't know what card it is. So it's yes. it's really nice to be able to like do the strategy in your head of, I am now missing this card from my deck. As well as now it also works in the same way if you're counting cards to know what house to choose based on totally ratios of what you could draw next. Uh, it lets you know you can count that card towards whatever house you need to. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really excited for tokens. Yeah, and then the last part that I actually really liked, and I think there's going to be a lot of really cool strategy with this, is that um, you can basically plan ahead. So you can be like, I got a nice grip of Mars cars in my hand using the reference they have there. And this Mars Grunt is my token. And, oh, I can create tokens using my Brobnar house. And I want to call Mars next time. So I will create the tokens now and they'll enter play exhausted. And then next turn, I'm going to have all these ready Mars creatures ready to go that are in the form of tokens. So it, I think it adds an interesting strategy in that regard. Like what cards are triggering tokens? Are they in the same house as the token? And if not, how can you use that to your advantage to plan future turns, what I think is a, a really cool aspect of tokens. Absolutely. It adds a whole new layer of strategy that's just going to be so much fun to figure out. Indeed, indeed. Cool. So I think now moving on to the uh, topic of the episode, it was a fantastic suggestion in our Discord um, by, I think I think this is pronounced Shivenger, but I, I, should, I should know, I should know because, hi, Terrence. Thank you for making the suggestion in our Discord. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, <laughs> so you lost track of Keyforge during the pandemic. Here's what you need to know. And you know what? That makes a lot of sense, like including myself who who took a, a couple of weeks off and and there was a bit of a hiatus, whether whether you couldn't play in person because of COVID or it because... Uh, Keyforge went online and you basically were only playing in person or you're, you're, you are playing online, but you, you're not as familiar with how to play in person anymore. Like for all of these reasons, like there is a great, this is a great point for a refresh, you know, like what do we need to remember or know, or what has changed or what is in the minds of the Keyforge community now that we're excited to play Keyforge again? Yes. And First off, I would have to say that the most interesting thing about Keyforge is that it's got quite a diverse meta now. Like I feel like before when we were just in the first three sets, mm-hmm. you saw quite the same thing over and over again. Like you knew what you were going to be seeing all the time. Sure. And now I feel like we're in a place where you really don't know what you're going to get from anyone at any given time. We have such a nice plethora of good decks out there that don't necessarily fit inside of a like particular style, like there's so many different things that could be pulled upon or that people want to play that it's not as, I guess, stale as it used to be. Sure. I totally believe that. And I actually, so I've been um, getting more and more active in some of the old discords that I have um, still belong to from before the hiatus. And it's kind of cool how there are, there are people that are exploring old sets in ways that they, they never have before. Like um, I was, 
talking with the uh, the Swindle group and and they are like going hardcore into AOA right now. And so it's really interesting to have them practicing AOA and talking about AOA and like, I'm just returning to all of these really cool things. And they're getting to the point where like, they're trying to make AOA competitive because they have the the time and the energy to do that. And I, I know that that's not like the the overall meta is never has never really been AOA and they're like we're we're bringing it back we're we're going to make it happen so i'm i'm really excited to see that different communities in keyforge are working really hard to like get into the decks that they already have and make keyforge continue to grow and evolve yeah for me i'm i'm right now just like really really itching to play coda brobnar and i think part of Ooh. it is the reemergence of brobnar and I want to play Coda, but I don't want to be playing like the standard, like Shadows, you know, just Steel Heavy, that sort of side of things, or the Untamed Rush. I'm actually looking for the board state side of Coda. And that's what's really kind of making me excited to dive into that and see how it interacts with the newer sets. That's where my heart is. And I'm just, I can't wait to play some Coda Sealed. Uh, my friend and I have a uh, quote unquote play date for Keyforge in the near future that we're going to uh, <laughs> dive into and play some Coda Sealed, and I'm pretty stoked. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, personally, I actually am really interested in getting back into some Dark Tidings because that is the set mm. that I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the the weakest. I'm just the the least experienced on. Like I've had the least amount of, of pure reps out of Dark Tidings, and the fact that like it was the uh, the seal that I played at Gen Con was a Dark Tidings, and I really had to like remind myself all of the little individual mechanics and the things that I needed to remember about the tide just for dark tidings. And so I feel like if I, if I get to play that more, I'll be able to like reconfigure how strategies work with some of the mechanics in dark tidings. Totally. I mean, that's, that's a perfect segue. I mean, if you're starting to play again and you're going to be playing IRL in particular, the tide and dark tidings in general is going to be a very, skill testing task for most people i think and it's not skill testing in the sense that there is skill involved in using it it's more like the skill of remembering that it exists and you have totally. to use it before you do things or else you're not getting the effect you may automatically think because if you're playing online it, there's a prompt but if you're mm -hmm. not playing online it's it's not the same thing so you have to be very conscious of it and utilize it not to mention Dark Tidings in general is a very sequence-heavy set. So if you're not familiar with it, it's going to feel weird playing it a few times as you get back into it because you do have to remember all the triggers, sequencing. There's things that you've never had to consider before that you have to consider with Dark Tidings, like your placement. Absolutely. And just in, in general, also like the, the really, really basic rules that either might have like slipped your mind or for a lot of people, if you dabbled in other card games during the pandemic, the rules are out of the basics are, are different. And so being able to like use the tide during your turn and not just at the beginning because you have like effects or otherwise that can affect it or, you know, your, your opening hand and when you draw your cards, like if you're, if you're playing for the first time in a long time and, and you've played a little bit of Soulforge fusion in the time being like, you have to remember at the beginning of the game, like if you're going first, you're drawing seven. If you're going second, you're drawing six. And just the little tweaks in your brain that you have to make when you're like settling down to a game of Keyforge again. And it's just also a, a really nice reminder to to be 
to be kind to the people that you're playing with. So let's say that you're starting to play with people in person again, or just playing with new people in general. If you're getting back into it, or if they're getting back into it, don't feel bad. Like, whipping out the the quick start guide you know like they have all of the different things in there that you need to know that you you may have forgotten or need a refresher on including like things as simple as like when you ready your cards and draw your cards because that is different from a lot of other games like doing that at the end of your turn instead of the beginning of your turn and you know a lot of different things about the basics of the game that you might have forgotten are just really really all right there Yes, to- like very good point. And also, don't be a rules stickler. If someone needs to do a take back, <laughs> like you should allow the learning experience to provide the best possible outcome for plays. Because playing against someone who made a mistake based on an error of not being as familiar is not actually giving you the best experience in terms of the level of competition you may want. So if you know a mistake was made and it was pretty obvious, like, and they, and they catch it and want to go, Oh, actually I I realized I didn't do this. Like for the most part, if you can let it go, just let it go and and allow it to happen because that person's then going to really learn how things play out the correct way and the most optimal way, which will also let you have, the experience of playing against the most optimal plays, which will give you the true test of what your deck can do in your own skill level. So I feel like to a degree, if it's happened, like a few things have happened, then they want to go back. That's a little unreasonable. But if it's just like a catch right after it's happened, definitely let that go back because you are going to become a better player playing against the most optimal plays and responding in that sort of way, rather than just feeling like you pulled one over because they uh, misplayed due to human error. Absolutely. And especially if you're getting back to decks that you've previously known really well and you're having to like relearn the muscle memory of playing the same things. Mm-hmm. It's it's really nice if you're playing in a casual environment to be able to do things correctly so that you can rebuild that muscle memory or in general, the doing things correctly every time instead of just, you know, when you remember. Yes. And on that note of um, playing together with people, if... Um, you want to play Keyforge? Uh, you don't always have to play your Heat. Play what you like. And you can go online and play it. You can do it in person. And either of those things, I would recommend bringing a friend. Uh, as fun as it is to just play randos in the queue, I, I feel that I'm starting to notice a sort of overarching thing that it's not always the best play experience. Maybe some people were getting some of the spikes out there, I think, on TCO, and it's mm-hmm. it's becoming a little bit of a I don't know what the word to describe is like there's feels bad moments for the most random reasons there's if you're getting back in hop in a discord utilize those channels hop in the help from future self there's places to ask people for games there find people within the community you're already interacting with and play games with them I mean even if you can get a voice chat going that's always nice you get to have a little conversation with people rather than just having a random obviously randoms are very convenient because there's no setup required you just if they're there you play but just a little kind of public service announcement tco is is i think a little bit more in this interesting space right now where the people on there are playing for many different reasons and some are maybe more competitive than you would like for the game of getting back into it and um, just kind of a little caveat to be aware of that when you're going into the games so that if you do have a bad experience, maybe or it's not the experience you're looking for, 
um, you know that that can exist and that there are communities through discords that can help foster maybe the game you're actually looking to play. Totally agree. And like props to TCO, like before the pandemic, I wouldn't think twice about entering the competitive section of it. Like that's where I would play all of my games. And I think that like since coming back, I've been a little bit more cautious going there because my, my skill level is a little bit lower. And I mean, like I will in fact be making mistakes that I didn't make before. So I have been having a great time doing more of the the casual section. Like if I am playing against a random person, I, I won't pick my fire. Like if I, I've been recently trying to brush up on Dark Tidings and picking like random Dark Tidings in my collections, going to casual and getting some games in. And it's it's worked out really, really well. And not necessarily because I've been using manual the manual mode to undo a lot of what I've been doing, but like I feel so much less bad if I'm making weird mistakes against someone in the casual setting than in the competitive setting on TCO. Mm, fair, yeah. But another thing you mentioned that I, I also want to bring up that I love is that there are still so many different communities available for for you to join, become a part of, learn more about Keyforge. And they some have just continued going strong during the pandemic and some have cropped up since. Like um, there are a, a handful of, of podcasts out there that are still going strong. Um, Call of Discovery just dropped their musical episode and that was just props to them. It was one of the most fun episodes they have ever done. I've listened to it multiple times. Like go listen to it if you haven't yet. And then like, how cool is it? Like the Nordic Keyforge podcast has been going this whole time and they're, they're running their own league. They have their own like high level strategy. Like they've been going strong. Like nothing's ever happened. I've absolutely loved listening to them and, and Archon's Corner still out there too. There's just so much still going on that the community is open and welcoming to, to new players and returning players alike. Like you, you don't have to be shy that you weren't at the level you were at before or that now that because sets have come out or people have had more practice with the sets that you haven't played, that you're behind. Like there, there's, no, there's no behind here. There's just an open community welcoming you to, to continue playing the game. Yeah, and I mean, with Winds of Exchange coming out, it's uh, not a bad time to brush up on the standard Keyforge skills and whatnot. And when that set drops, you will pretty much be on the same level as anyone else. So just get used to playing. And then when that happens, you're not going to be in a different position from anyone else. Exactly. And speaking of playing, um, if you're playing online during the pandemic, which I think most of us did, and then you come back to playing in person, be aware that getting used to maintaining the board state and physically using your tokens for Ember or damage or enrage, ward, all that ward, sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta get used to that because it's it does take a little bit and it's it may feel a little bit frustrating or tedious when you first start because the automation of TCO does really simplify things and it's it's very nice, I think, for the expediency of a game, but I also think that you you need to get used to that that aspect of actually grabbing tokens, putting them on, maintaining the board state, doing things correctly is a critical part of the game. And if you're not used to doing it, you may be quite shocked at how clunky it feels your first time sitting down. So make sure you take the time to get used to doing those actions again, which have normally been automated for people who have just been playing online during the COVID times and since then as well. 
there was actually a fantastic discussion in our own Keyforge um, Discord about chains and just in general, like after our last episode about Dark Amber. But one of one of the issues that like was going back and forth is like how clunky chains are because it's something that it is how you draw cards over time and that changes based on like an actual like graph like a table that has like the number of chains base decides how many less cards you draw over the next number of turns and and so that's actually quite a bit confusing especially if let's say you're playing adaptive and getting some at the beginning of your of the game or with dark tidings you're you're getting some on a regular basis if you're using the tide so remembering or picking a way to to track chains, whether you're using the um, official chain trackers or sometimes when I'm in person, I will literally just put damage tokens onto my deck. And every time, so like they're physically there between me and drawing new cards. So every time I refill my hand, I, I can't draw new cards without affecting or seeing the chains on my deck. So I will remove one of the damage tokens and then use, like draw the right amount, like counting the damage tokens on my deck. But it's something that um, a little practice goes a long way. Yeah, I always put my chain tracker right on top of my my draw pile so that I know I have to pick that up first before I do anything. And it's like basically the size of the deck almost. So it does does make a a big difference. I think that's a, a great pointer. Now, so, I'll oh, go ahead. The uh, last thing that I wanted to to talk about, and if there's anything else you want to talk about afterwards, of course. But um, I think which is which is something that's really interesting to see if you're playing is you may notice there's an abundance of mass mutation decks that you'll yeah. come across. <laughs> and I'm wondering, there's two things I think about that. One, I feel like people have landed that it's arguably the best set for various reasons. I think enhancements being so abundant is one of them with really good cards in the set. And the two, which, which is I wonder is there's been so many sales that have involved mass mutations that the ease of picking up decks for cheap and getting a lot of them, mm-hmm. I think also contributes to that. I know I myself provided the uh, the opportunity for that through the sales I had during the pandemic. But there's also then obviously recently uh, FFG and Asmodi have been unloading really cheap mass mutation decks as well. So there's just this huge abundance. As a result, I'm actually really bored of playing mass mutations because <laughs> I've been playing it so much and have such an abundance. So I'm going to be taking a break from it. But uh, that's something I've noticed, and you may notice it as well. So it's it's a it's a fun set for various reasons. The uniqueness of each deck is at a whole nother level than any other set. I agree, and I love that about mass mutations. I think that it's something that people can find the uniquest of decks because of the enhancements, and so they they get attached to decks, or what maybe they're just trying to find the most the most broken combinations. Because even in decks with very similar cards, where the enhancements are could make or break how they the deck operates. So I, I think that it has been a an overarching high higher powered, if not the highest powered set so far. And um, it's been treated that way quite a bit in the uh, the Discord conversations I've seen. All right. So but um, I actually I did else? so. Yeah, I did have a, a question or two more uh, for you. So one okay. of the things that I like needed to get back into because I've been out long enough of the online play that so a ton 
of different ways to play, like online variants mm-hmm. have, mm-hmm. have come onto the scene. And as exciting as they are to like hear people talking about, like when people bring up that they just played this new variant and it has all of these requirements or this is what happens. And whether it's a, a league or just a tournament, like I'm, I'm still a little bit lost in, in should I join that? Or where do I find like how that, works and what would you suggest to other people coming in and hearing all of these words thrown around that are ways to play that they've never done before honestly if you haven't played in a while and you want to have a welcoming experience and get to ex- to try out like different variants through leagues i honestly just recommend go to the abr league i think that's honestly the best way to have a positive experience with a welcoming group where you're going to be on a team. So you're going to get to talk to a lot of different individuals. You're going to be playing Keyforge on a competitive level, but in a very a less intense setting, I would say. But you're still playing competitive Keyforge. And you're going to get to experience a plethora of variants that have, some have been tested, some are new. And I think they make the most sense. And you're getting every week to try a different variant, practice for the variant, look at decks and select them based on the variant. And I think that's honestly the best way to go about it. There's others out there as well. I know Time Shapers leagues exist and Aurora has been really great about trying to perfect variants. And the truth is these variants exist not just for the sake of creating a variant. It's actually to provide a way of you to utilize your collection in a way that's not just playing your best decks. Every I love time. that. And that's, I think, the whole reason why variants exist. It's not a means to upset the way Keyforge is. It's just a way for you to get to know some of your decks that you wouldn't look to play in a standard competitive, this is my most powerful deck, potentially, sort of way. And so I, I really like that the ABR does that and goes outside of the box for you to look at what you own, look at what you have. And maybe it's based on houses. Maybe it's based on, um, it could be using a SAS or different things that create a ceiling for the maximum um, potency a deck can have or power level that you can play. And I just find that is a really nice way to get back into trying out these online variants that have popped up and seeing things that are tried and tested and true. That's awesome. I'm really, really glad to hear that. And I, I do love ABR and I remember playing in it and I, I'm so glad that they're still going because they do bring so much to the community. But you you brought mm-hmm. up one other thing that I do want to ask. Do you feel that people are using SAS as much as they used to? And for those of you who don't know, it's a way to rate decks. It's if you go to the website, decksofkeyforge.com, it's a way that people have come to value their decks based on a lot of different factors. And it it stands for synergy, anti-synergy. And so it gets just basically all boiled down to a numeric rating. And so I've I've heard from different sources that Dark Tidings has not been as um, calibrated as some of the earlier sets have been. So do you feel that people are relying on SAS as much as they used to? I honestly think... No, but also, yes. I just think people understand. <laughs> like, people are using it, but they understand this is not the the end of the discussion about that's how much your deck should be worth in terms of a numerical rating. Mm-hmm. I just think that people have a greater understanding of SAS as a tool, which is great because it's a good starting point. It does give stats that I think are 
are important, fairly accurate that you can go of. It's just that last number that I think people know not to necessarily use that at the end. But I think people are also looking to create variants that don't necessarily utilize SAS in that way. But at the end of the day, it's a way that creates a viewing of your collection in its entirety with the ability to kind of filter what you're looking for, which doesn't necessarily have to do with any numerical value. It has ways of looking for things within your collection that fit the parameters of something. So I think SAS is being used for these, but not necessarily always based on the numerical value. Interesting. I like that. That's really good to know. And I feel like people ended up going in that direction um, for for a while now. And I think that once uh, Winds of Exchange comes out, it'll everything will be back up in the air. Yes, totally. 100%. Cool. Well, we cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the segment... Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. I have one for us today. And this is a fun one that I ran into on TCO. And I was really glad TCO was there for me to depend on for this, but definitely made me realize I needed to practice this in person. But for um, those of you who remember, the rule of six is a common way to end what otherwise could be infinite loops. And so uh, the situation that I ran in, I was playing um, an AOA deck with uh, someone from Swindle and we ran into the Ganger Chieftain Drummer Knock combo where one of them, basically just to summarize, one of them sends the other back to your hand. You can play it, use the other one. And so it's a, it's an otherwise infinite combo. And I absolutely forgot like, uh, like halfway through how many times I had used each because I didn't want to waste any individual usage of the card. And I completely forgot that the rule of six includes both playing the card and using the card. So Mm. when you put the card into play, that counts. But then if a different card allows you to use that card in the same turn, that also counts. So I, TCO stopped me and I was very thankful that it was keeping track the whole time. But it was something that where like in person, I I may have completely lost count and either cheated or underutilized, depending on how many times I ended up using the cards. But um, rule of six is something to, to brush up on a little bit if there's a possibility you have an infinite combo in your deck somewhere. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's actually, I think, having a six-sided dice in your uh, in your arsenal of tokens, I find it's very helpful for that because it's six-sided and you can just turn it each time you play it you got the one, then you use it, you mark the two, and you just kind of go that way each time you're you're utilizing a card. And I find um, as much as dice are not part of Keyforge, I think in that right. instance, it's very helpful. I also do like dice for the opening roll, and it's just an odds or evens 50-50 roll instead of um, flipping a token, which I can f- I find like tokens are not a great flipping tool, no matter using metal cardboard i just find no i'm so I'm a big you and i have never that. played in person but i have a very signature first way to start i pick up a damage p- counter and an amber counter put them in my hands shake up my hands and then like like kind of slyly like i hide one in one hand and one in the other with my fists out and i make the other person pick which hand and if they pick the amber they go first if they pick the damage i go first Oh, that's pretty good. I like that, it. That is that is that is my way of picking first player. And then if if they don't like that or if it's official play, then I'm happy to flip a coin and roll a die. 
I mean, if you're a mentalist, you could probably influence them to choose the the one you want. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, you can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. We are also on Discord, link in the show notes. I am SC Steel on TCO and Discord. And Blake, where can people find you? And you got anything going on? Yeah, you can find me on Discord is always best for conversations. Uh, BLVD Blake number sign 3840. That's Boulevard Blake number sign 3840. And my YouTube is back up and running. I put out a bunch of content uh, the other week, and I'm hoping to continue with this. I'm I'm feeling energized about KeyForge, but also SoulForge. So if you're you're kind of getting into the SoulForge realm, the the newer Richard Garfield uh, game that he was a part of, uh, yeah, go check out some of the stuff there. It's a, it's a really fun game that I feel like complements KeyForge, but is a completely different game. So if you totally. don't like deck building and seeing net decking it's a really great way but still having control of what goes together because you're picking two halves in that one rather than just having a fully generated deck it's two halves that are generated and it's a ton of fun i know sydney can attest to this (laughs) absolutely cool well we will be back in two weeks with another episode of help from future self and until then stay fortunate